Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Sisters in Crime. I'm your co-host, Sarah, joined by Kate. Hi. This week, I'm going to be telling you about a Florida native who committed his first murder at the age of 19. Known as the Casanova Killer, some have claimed he's worse than Bundy. He was tied to the deaths of 20 people in 1974, but had claimed to have taken 35 lives. We are talking about Paul John Knowles. Born on April 25, 1946, in Orlando, Florida, he was one of five children. He lived in a three-bedroom house, a main room, one bedroom, and a kitchen with his four siblings and two parents. When they needed to go to the bathroom, they used the outhouse. According to an article that I read, it stated Paul's younger brother telling a reporter, quote, that if the things that happened in his family were to have occurred today, the children would have been placed in foster care. End quote. Clifton said they had constant bruises from the beatings their father would give them, and he recalled that his dad gave multiple beatings to Paul. Beatings couldn't tame Paul, and at the age of eight, he stole a bike and committed other petty crimes. Paul's dad was so frustrated with him that he actually gave him up to the state. He was placed in an institution known for its extreme brutality. Paul lived in the infamous Dozier School for Boys located in Mariana, Florida, until his teen years. Boys whose spirits could not be easily broken, known as, quote, the White House boys, were taken to a special building where they were severely beaten, raped, and sometimes killed by the guards. The reformatory opened in 1900 and didn't shut down until 2011 when the state finally investigated the institution. Upon investigation, they uncovered at least 81 child deaths that had resulted from abuse or neglect at the hands of Dozier School employees. Wow. So we have a little boy whose dad gave him up to the state because parenting him was too tough. And this is the school that he lived in, which wasn't a school. (laughs) It's like a prison. Right. It was like a lateral move. And there was nothing better about being in this. Right. Paul Knowles got his title as Casanova Killer because Paul grew up to be a red-haired, six-feet-tall, handsome man with some serious charm. He was known to police as a spree killer, which is basically a serial killer, but there is no pattern in his killings. His victims were complete strangers and didn't resemble each other at all. They were men, women, children, gay, straight, homebodies, and hitchhikers with ages ranging from seven years old to 65 years old and held various occupations such as waitress, school, and retiree. He would usually strangle his victims and usually use the female victim's nylon stockings to strangle them, but he also shot a couple of his victims. And just a side note, like from some of the pictures that I did see, like he was kind of good looking, just like Ted Bundy. I mean, he Ted Bundy mm-hmm. had a little posse going on, but yeah. uh, I, he he wasn't ugly. But uh, Polly really, Polly, <laughs> Paul really had no motive except that this was his ticket to quote fame, since he idolized infamous outlaws such as Bonnie and Clyde, Jesse James, and John Dillinger. Paul's first arrest was when he was 19. He kidnapped a police officer who had stopped him for a traffic violation. Once he, (laughs) (laughs) that's ballsy, right? And you'll see as we go on, he 
is pretty ballsy when it comes to some of this stuff. <laughs> Getting pulled over, I might as well kidnap him. Right. Once he was released, he was in and out of jail. I mean, he obviously went to jail for that. Um, but once he got <laughs> once he got out of jail, about every six months or so, um, he would get thrown back in for like burglary or auto theft. Of course. In 1972, he was convicted and sentenced to Ryford Prison in Florida. He started a relationship with a pen pal by the name of Angela Kovic. He had about two more years on his sentence, and during that time, Paul and Angela's relationship grew stronger, so much that when Paul was released in 1974, they had plans to get married. He just had to travel to San Francisco, California, where Angela lived. Once Paul arrived, Angela called it off and Paul was devastated, but of course, Paul didn't grieve like a normal man would. Oh no, he decided to console his grief with a killing spree. He ended up killing three women that night, but it could never be proven he, he was behind it. He returned to Florida, ended up getting in a bar fight where he stabbed the bartender, and he was thrown in jail for this where he had eventually picked the lock to his cell and escaped the prison and this is where his known cr crime spree starts wow so since paul was only convicted of 20 murders instead of the 35 he claimed to have committed i'm only gonna talk about some of the confirmed cases paul's first known victim was 65 year old alice curtis he broke into her house while he was looking to steal a car and some money he tied her up and she ended up choking on her dentures he drove her car for a couple days until he realized the police were looking for both him and the car and then ditched it. Alice was discovered the next morning by her son. I also want to make a side note that um, like he was aware that she was choking. It's not like she choked on her dentures after he left. Oh, Yeah. Um, what so, did he think? That just no one was ever going to find her? He didn't care. Avi. He just, he literally, this man has no emotion. That's probably the why next, he's a serial killer. <laughs> right. Or a spree killer because there's literally yeah. like no pattern to his mm -hmm. killings. Mm -hmm. The next victim of Paul's was 49-year-old Marjorie Howe in Atlantic Beach, Florida. From my research, I'm not sure if he broke in or if he had invited him or if she had invited him in for some reason, but he strangled her with a pair of her stockings and stole her TV. He moved on to Kathy Sue Pierce just 20 days later. Kathy lived with her three-year-old son. Paul had strangled Kathy with a telephone cord and left her son unharmed. Um, hello, Dexter Morgan. Right. <laughs> with um, a lot less blood. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I was reading like in my research in a couple articles that uh, he did this in front of the child. I was going to say... Why would you do like if you're he does not also care. not going to harm the son, which like, uh, thank God that he didn't. Why would you just do it in front of the son? Like he couldn't figure something out. I mean, I have some theories. One, I don't think he cared. Two, I don't think he cared. <laughs> like, I really just like, I don't think it went through his mind. I'm glad he didn't hurt the son, but like, does that the, does that three year old have issues now because he watched this man strangle his mom right in front of him? Right, exactly, exactly. And then we've got another Dexter, got another Dexter Morgan on our hands. Yeah. 
About a week later, William Bates met his fate in a hotel bar in Lima, Ohio. The two had met here and ended up leaving the bar together. They had like a couple drinks and, you know, became buddy, buddy friends until um, Paul decided to end his life. When William didn't come home, his wife reported him and his car missing. His car was found at a hotel, yet his body wasn't found until a month later in October. He had been stripped naked, strangled, and dumped in the nearby woods. Paul took William's car to California, and from my research, it seems Paul spent some time in California and then drove back across the country. If he did kill in that time that he was in California, no bodies were ever officially tied back to him. On his trek back across the country, he stopped by Eli, Nevada, where he met two campers, Emmett and Lois Johnson, who he murders and then steals their credit cards to use on his continued trek back across the country. By September 21st, Paul had made it to Texas. He is definitely on a mission at this point with his murder quest. And here he had met 42-year-old Charlene Hicks, who he had raped and murdered. And she was a stranded motorist at the time. After she was dead, he dragged her body through a barbed wire fence where she was later found in a field. Two days later, Paul meets 49-year-old beautician Ann Dawson in Birmingham, Alabama. The two actually travel together for a few days, and then she's never seen or heard from again. Unfortunately, her body had never been found, but Paul claims to have killed her and dumped her body in the Mississippi River. From there, Paul makes his way up to Marlboro, Connecticut, while he was here, he had met Karen Wine and her daughter Dawn, who he had tied up, raped, and strangled. He stole a tape recorder from them. And I just want to make note that he is still driving William Bates's car, who was the guy he killed, you know, back on September 3rd. And at this point, it's October 16th. Mm-hmm. Two to three days later, Paul makes his way down to Woodford, Virginia, where he knocks on the door of 53-year-old Doris Harvey. Now This one was kind of confusing. Somehow he like forced his way in or she invited him in and somehow he gets possession of her husband's shotgun and he ends up shooting her and it it claims that he removed his fingerprints from the gun. So I'm not necessarily sure like how that was tied back to him, maybe by like other DNA evidence um, on the body, on Doris's body, but I just kind of wanted to make note of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. After after this, he flees down to the Florida Keys where he kidnaps a couple and he ends up letting them go after being stopped for a traffic violation. After this, he goes to his lawyer. And by the way, like he the, the cop just stops him for like speeding and that's it. And then he lets this couple go. How because many he's, like, times? Spooked. Yeah. How many times I feel like do we hear this? It happened with Ed Kemper with dead bodies yeah. in the back. It happens with them all, I swear. Yeah. So he like kind of got spooked by this, I guess. And, or kind of maybe thought that like, oh, they're hot on my trail, even though he didn't get in trouble. Anyways, he ends he's up kidnapped a police officer before. Yeah. Now you want to get spooked. Yeah. So he ends up going to his lawyer where he confesses to everything. Obviously the lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. That is, that escalated. And so, obviously, the lawyer's like, um, Paul, you should probably surrender at this point. Like, you should probably give <laughs> like, up. give it up. Yeah, yeah. Please, for the love of God. Um, but shocker, Paul refuses. <laughs> and at this point, he knew, I mean, he knew he was being hunted by the police. But Paul 
is very theatrical and he wanted to go out with a bang because let's remember he um he wanted to be famous like bonnie and clyde and jesse james i think right, right that's what everything claims so paul drives up to milledgeville georgia where one of his most talked about and gruesome murders occurs it's november 7th 1974 middle of the night and paul breaks into the home of carwell carr who was home with his 15 year old daughter mandy Carwell's wife, Mandy's mom, wasn't in the house. She was actually working an elite night shift. It's unknown who was attacked first, but he had stripped Carwell naked and stabbed him between 25 and 27 times with a pair of scissors. That's pretty personal to me. Oh, my god! Not that, like, he knows Carwell, but it's, like, usually when somebody's stabbed that much, it's because out of passion. Yeah, passion, passionate. And scissors? Scissors. Are these doll scissors? Like, wh- what kind of I scissors just, are we talking about? Yeah, and I feel like most scissors you have laying around your house are going to be doll. Like, none of them right, are, Right, like, they're not super sharp. pointy. Exactly. That's insane. And it wasn't clear if this was the result of his death or the fact he suffered from a heart attack while all this was going on. Oh, like, gosh. while he was being attacked. Yeah. Oh. Mandy was strangled with a pair of stockings, and another pair was found stuffed inside her mouth. Both had their hands tied behind their backs. And this is like the heartbreaking part. When Mandy's mom returned home from her late night shift, that's when she discovered them. Oh my gosh. How you can't even you can't even imagine that. I know. Inside the house was a mess. Books, mirrors, photographs, and even furniture had been thrown around. A lot of the items were missing from the home, including most of Carwell's clothes, credit cards, his briefcase, shaving kit keys and a watch and clock that belonged to mandy an exact time of death was never determined shortly after the car murders in early november paul met sandy fox who was a british reporter he introduced himself as daryl golden sandy was immediately smitten and she described him as a quote dreamboat and actually he uses that daryl golden like a couple other times interesting yeah they had a three-day fling which included him giving her a gift which was actually the watch that belonged to Mandy Carr. And they Piece drove, of crap. Like, I know. For real. They'd driven over 600 miles to Miami. And during their time together, Paul, or Daryl, asked Sandy if she could write a book about him, which at the time she thought sounded crazy. Like, dude, I just met you. Why are you asking me to write Ew. a book about you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He mentioned to her that he was going to die within a year because of, quote, something he'd done. Yes, something. Yeah, something. Like some things, plural. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or like stabbings. Yeah. (laughs) The two parted ways, and Paul became friendly with one of Sandy's friends, who he tried raping, but was unsuccessful. And she had actually gone to the police. But from my research, they were unable to catch him. And Sandy did uh, end up writing a book about Paul. She originally named it Killing Time, but it was later re-released as Natural Born Killer. That's kind of that's kind of badass of her to do. Yeah. Good job, Sandy. <laughs> he managed to do some more, but at the same time, I'm gonna just stop right there. Like she did what he told her to, which actually kind of pisses me off. Yeah, but to my understanding, she like wrote it about him being a murderer, right? Well, yeah, but that's what he wanted. I mean, yeah, I guess so. Anyways, whatever. But writing a book is not an easy feat. No, know? it's not. It's not. 
So he managed to do some more kidnapping with a few other individuals after this, but the police were already on his trail. They had been tracking the credit cards he had stolen from the couple back in Nevada. Police had tracked the cards through 37 states. One of the victims after Sandy was able to identify Paul as her attacker, along with locating Sandy Fox and getting a positive identity from her as well. And she, like, it came out that that watch was Mandy's and obviously like she gave it back to the police as um evidence yeah good good but like how disgusting to find yeah, that out i would be so disturbed so on november 16th florida state trooper charles campbell recognized one of the victims stolen car and pulled the car over Paul was inside and somehow managed to overpower and kidnap state trooper Charles and a businessman that Charles had with him and drove north towards Georgia. A whole day passes and he actually runs through a roadblock in Stonebridge, Georgia and runs into a tree wrecking the car that he's in. Paul gets out of the car and flees on foot, making his way into a nearby wooded area. He managed to get away from police and a team over 200 men along with dogs and helicopters search for Paul. He found refuge in an abandoned farmhouse where he found a shotgun and a few shells. The only mistake Paul made with this is the shotgun didn't work, which he later found out when he tried to take a nearby hunter hostage named David Clark. And David was actually able to overpower Paul and hold him with his own firearm until the police arrived. Police took Paul into custody that day and was charged with seven counts of murder, though he was suspected of at least 12 at the time. At this state of capture, he had been on the run for five months, drove over 20,000 miles through over 37 states. Wow. That's insane. I know. He was on a mission. That's what I said at the beginning of this. He was on a mission. His confirmed victims were in Georgia, Texas, Florida, Connecticut, and Nevada. It's been said that, quote, Knowles had the coldest eyes. He could see right through you. He had no qualms about killing, end quote. You don't say. So do you remember when I said he had stolen that tape recorder? He actually Mm -hmm. used this to document his killings, which he had actually handed over to his lawyer. His lawyer, Sheldon Yavitz, claimed he had never listened to the tapes, One article says he handed these tapes over to the police before Paul's arrest, and another article says he had initially refused to hand them over due to attorney-client privilege, but they were eventually in police's hands. However, there was nothing on the tapes to help find some of the victims. Paul loved the media's attention and refused to tell police the fate of some of his hostages, which in tail created more media for Paul to relish in. So, do you also remember the state trooper and the businessman Paul took hostage? Yep. Well, it was assumed they were still alive somewhere. However, their bodies were found on November 21st by a hunter. Paul had handcuffed both men to a tree and shot them in the head. Wow. Again, no remorse. <laughs> like, yeah, he's just ruthless. Like, I feel like he's just yeah. all willy-nilly just, like, doing things. Like, yeah. he doesn't have, like, a true like, MO. He's a hollow shell. Just, yeah. like, a being that exists and nothing else. So on December 18th, yeah, on December 18th, Paul was scheduled to be transferred to a higher security prison, but on the way, he agreed to show officers where he had buried state trooper Charles Campbell's gun. While in the back of the police car, he used a paperclip to uncuff himself and grab the sheriff's gun that was driving. At the time, there wasn't a cage fence separating the officers from 
the felons in the backseat. Um, writing, yeah, writing shotgun was an FBI agent that actually shot and killed Paul during the struggle. Oh, yeah. So Paul's hmm. lawyer had been skeptical of this story and believed he was executed by police. And then that was like just the story that the cops gave them. Uh, for like internal affairs but the investigation of the shooting was determined to be self-defense and that is the story of paul john knowles aka the casanova killer and he definitely went out with a bang like he wanted so i guess he got what he wanted he got the book that he wanted i think he was a bad egg to begin with but i think with loving nurturing parents this could this could have been prevented Right, right. And I kind of almost feel like this how they all are. Like, they are almost, like, born bad, and then they all have these terrible home lives that just expose it even more. Yeah. Um, I also had a question. So why was he called the Casanova Killer? Because of his good looks. Oh, just because he was good looking? Yeah, because he was was charming, and he was a dreamboat, and he was very good looking. Right, right. So that's why they called him the Casanova killer is because of how good looking he was. Not because like he was charming or anything because he didn't even take the time to charm his victims. He just, he, and I don't mean to that's laugh, but like he just gonna, went in and like killed him. Right. That's what I was going to say. It's not like he was trying to like seduce these people. No, like, absolutely he, not. He literally was like. He went in with a mission and a purpose. Yeah. He literally was willy-nilly. I'm, uh-huh. I, I'm renaming him the willy-nilly killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, every serial killer that we have profiled or talked about in this uh, uh, this podcast has had a horrible home life except for Randy Kraft. Randy Kraft was the exception because he really didn't have... A bad childhood. I mean, his parents and his sisters that adored him, yet he did some really disgusting things. So, I mean, yeah, mostly th- that that usually is the case with serial killers or these spree killers is they have a terrible childhood and they right, just go off the deep end. Mm-hmm. So that is this week's episode. We will see you next week for another brand new episode. Yes. Tell us what you would like to hear. Um, we love getting suggestions, especially yes. of things that we've never heard of before. So yes. if you have any like niche things that you think we don't know about, tell us. Um, next week I'm doing um, the Cleveland Torso Murderer. So Exciting stuff. Yeah. I'm excited to hear about this one. Yeah, Cleveland's... Um... <laughs> okay well we will see you guys here next week okay bye bye